you know, he said, if she makes, like, I'm moments from calling a helicopter, but if she makes it off this, she's going to be incredibly ripped up because the terrain on that side of the mountain is so gnarly. And, uh, you know, obviously I made it down and I got to Josh and Brian, who I'll never forget their faces of just being like, oh, my God, she's alive. Hey, hey, welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Tan, and it is so good to have you here today. This podcast is all about human performance, whether that's sports performance or showing up at your best every single day. There are so many aspects to human performance, the mental, the physical, the emotional, and even the spiritual. And we aim to cover as much of that as possible as we talk to people doing amazing things in their field. And on today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with running royalty, Lucy Bartholomew. Lucy is a world-class trail and ultra runner, and today we chat about her most recent adventure back in April, where she ran the 231-kilometer Lara Pinta Trail. Now, this was filmed by Brian Hines and documented, and you can actually go out and watch the film called Running Out, where you get to see Lucy tackle the most incredible of terrain in the Australian outback from hot conditions and exposed ridgelines, steep, rocky slopes, and she even had to swim part of it. So an incredible film, one I highly, highly recommend you go and watch. Be inspired, encouraged, motivated by Lucy's incredible efforts to complete this adventure. We also talk about the challenges throughout her running career from an unhealthy body image, hormonal battles, and the pressure to perform. Be inspired by this incredible woman. Enjoy this episode with Lucy Bartholomew. Lucy, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Oh, well, it's super exciting to have you on. I'm a big fan of yours. You are running royalty. And I recently watched your documentary, Running Out, which was just phenomenal. And I mean, it's beautifully done. It's raw, it's real, it's honest, it's you, it's, it looks tough. Um, all of the emotions and, um, and Brian Hines has done an incredible job of filming and, and documenting it. So congratulations on that. What inspired you to run the Lara Pinta Trail but also document it? Yeah, it was, uh, well, thank you, first of all. I'm sure Brian will be absolutely stoked to hear that. He put his time, effort, soul and energy into it. So it's awesome to kind of, I think, for him to to see the rewards of that. Um, whilst the movie is about me and that, um, or about that run that I did, he, yeah, it was a huge uh, effort for everybody. Um, so the Lyra Pinto idea came about when we went into lockdown. I think a lot of people were kind of, I mean, people were running ultras in their backyards, on their decks, and uh, I wasn't someone who was going to just run around the, um, the block or around my backyard a million times, but I was keen to kind of see an opportunity in a time that seemed really challenging for me. Um, and I wanted to go back to, I guess, why I started running in 2017, 2018, I had amazing years of racing. And then in 2019 and a little bit of 2020, what was able to race wasn't uh, very good. And I, or in my, in my opinion, and I wasn't loving it. And so we went into lockdown and I kind of saw that as, you know, I was relieved. I thought, oh gosh, that's good. I don't have to race. I don't have to travel. I can just kind of reset and refocus. And partway through uh, 2020, I kind of thought, you know, like I just, well, actually it was my dad. He said to me, you know, Lucy, I think you just need to go back to why you started running. And you didn't start running to race and to 
to have expectations and to you know try and win things you did it because you loved spending time with people we'd go away and we'd see new places and I think that I kind of just kind of lost that reasoning I was more about like no this is what I'm expected to do and I must win and I need to put a bib on and be the fastest and times and splits and um when me and dad had talked about the Lyra Pinter Trail because he was always been keen to hike it and uh when it kind of came about, I met Josh and Brian in January in 2021. And I was like, oh, I've got this like very small idea, a seed of an idea in my mind of maybe for the future. And uh, I really want to get it captured because I'd love to put uh, for Solomon, my sponsor, put Australia on the map. And as an Australian athlete, I saw a really op a great opportunity to, to do that. And uh, yeah, I said to Josh and Brian, you know, if there was a chance of doing it this year, I might do it. And they were kind of had interest in it and the, the world aligned in, in March and we were all able to get in a car, take a plane and get to Alice Springs to embark on a journey that was much, much grander than we expected um, and just way more fulfilling than I ever could have envisioned. That's crazy. You say March and you did it in April. Like, what was there any preparation like altogether? No, and that's the thing. Me and oh, wow. I met Josh and Brian in January and I hiked in Tasmania. So I spent 10 days with them hiking there and we kind of naturally got along and we spent a lot of the hike just kind of talking about different dreams, whether it was their videography and creativity and my like running and athletic and storytelling. And we kind of like, we all just, you know, you meet those people in life that I felt like I'd known them a very long time. Yeah. Um, and I just trusted them. And then when I was said to Solomon, I want to do this project. And they were like, yeah, cool. Like you can do that. When do you want to do it? And I was like, kind of now. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, they just were like, okay, cool. And who's your team? And I was like, well, I think these guys, and they're like, they're like, what, what are they what's their stuff can you tell us about them and I was like I don't really know <laughs> um, but I know they're really good dudes and they can hike in Tasmania they're super strong and you know just as I backed them they backed me into this and kind of went yeah we'll come crew you for 54 hours through the desert and spend you know six days on either end in the car with you no worries <laughs> wow that is sensational did you guys I mean, on paper, it looks hard. Did you anticipate like how challenging it actually would be? I think I had thought the biggest challenge was going to be the distance. I thought, you know, that's a, obviously a really long way. Um, but it, what turned out to be the challenge, the biggest challenge was kind of the mental and emotional toll that running for that amount of time takes on you. And I didn't envision myself being alone for so long. Initially, Josh, who's a great runner, was going to join me for about 100 kilometres of it. Um, and I had mainly said, okay, during the night sections, that would be awesome. But what we found is that Josh is an amazing road runner, but he's not used to uh, really gnarly trails, which is barely running. Uh, it's more hiking and just like speed walking. And uh, so he didn't feel very comfortable and he was having a few niggles in his body from the few reckies we did do. Um, so the challenges came from just being, I hadn't prepared for like, yeah, full nights by myself and having to navigate and eat and drink and do all the things by myself. And I had to just kind of really be present enough and on it to be able to look after myself I mean the running was kind of the easy bit my body knows how to do that um that along with the boys having to work out where they could drive to to get access to me and what time I was going to be there like we were just pulling numbers from the middle of the air and just being like yeah I mean that could take like maybe 10 hours maybe more maybe less but it was just like a big guessing game because yeah there's numbers on paper but they mean nothing until you see what the track actually looks like yeah absolutely and tell us about like some of the tracks because you know the conditions and and the train I mean you you like wading across a river at times <laughs> tell us about that 
Yeah, so we got up to the Northern Territory just after they'd had an uh, immense amount of rain. So what we were expecting was this dry red soil land that we all know the, the Northern Territory as was actually incredibly lush and green, which was inc just incredible to see. And when you see it in a film, it's, it's not what people expect. And that's what a lot of the international viewers have said. They kind of said, I didn't know that spot was in the middle of Australia. And I said... Well, most of the time it's not. Um, but uh, yeah, because of that, it meant that all the grasses and stuff were sprouted and that because of the, the rain, they'd grown really high. And then because of COVID, uh, people haven't been walking the Larapinta, so it wasn't very cleared. So when we started, um, the first bit of the track is at Mount Sonda, which is kind of a day walk and a, a few, quite a few people have been doing that but it became very apparent very early that the track was pretty overgrown. Um, like the grasses had grown so high so quickly that they were covering a lot of the markers and the, the trail arrows. Um, and then because of the rain, also the riverbeds, which are just not used to having this abundance of water, filled up rapidly. And so what was one section in the, the place you're referring to, um, was meant to be this two kilometre section in Hugh Gorge, which is normally bone dry. And for me, I could actually swim. So I swam for about two kilometres, uh, breaststroke and freestyle um, up the gorge, which is a, it, it was all, like an awesome thing to experience, but it was really challenging in that some of the trail markers were underneath the water. So I had to put my head torch on underneath to see if it would reflect and it just kind of added this extra level of I get lost in a supermarket so maybe the Lara Pinta with these conditions was like uh, extremely challenging for me to to try and navigate especially on my own. Well I mean yeah you it was 231 kilometers you ended up running 250 because you got lost. Yes, yeah, so it's a half marathon of uh, navigational challenges. <laughs> that is incredible. Like in those moments, do you know you're off course? And, and if you do, like, do you know how much off course? No. So it was, it was kind of, I found that as I started and got into the track, I realized that there was like this rhythm to it, like the way it kind of, meandered and moved and followed riverbeds or systems or and you kind of got a feeling of like all right this is I don't know you just kind of it's really weird I guess I like to refer to it as like the desert spirit of like it felt like you knew if you were on it but then you knew if you got off it as well and um I I had it on my phone which was probably my predominant use of navigation I had like a compass and map in my backpack but my god if that if it comes to that if, if we're in really bad situations um I also had it on my watch but that's quite hard to navigate off so I yeah I guess you know I got probably the furthest I got off course was about a kilometer um which because I was running parallel to it it made it really hard to cut across it's not like grassy lands it's like shrubbery spiky bushes and gorges and cliffs and stuff um and the worst that I got off course was in the second night that I was um starting to hallucinate and I was quite tired and I was climbing up a mountain like my hands and um yeah with my hands grabbing onto rocks and like pulling myself up and because the Lara Pinta is a well-known walk and it normally takes hikers 14 days and they do it with these big packs. And I know many people that have done it varying from ages 70 to 12. I was like, surely, surely people aren't doing this with big packs <laughs> on. You know, it just doesn't feel right. Like this is a pretty like well-renowned walk that's not too demanding if you do the 14 days. And uh, yeah, when I kind of took a moment to be like, just stop Lucy like you're in the middle of the night it's one o'clock in the morning this is your second night you're seeing people that aren't there like just have a look at your phone and I remember looking and being like oh there's like this beautiful zigzag just a little to my left <laughs> that just like meanders its way up the mountain where I've, I've tried to to beeline it up the scree slope which is you know incredibly dangerous. 
Yeah, because at once, is that the moment where you had a spot tracker? He and he's got in touch with you know the guys and said she is way off course. Yeah, correct. So that was when I got a message. I did have reception at the top of that mountain and my phone went off and um, it was a message that had gone to Brian and Josh from the person who was tracking my spot tracker. He was my emergency uh, response person. And he said, Lucy's, you know, way off course. That part of the mountain that she's on is like incredibly scree and spiky bushes and like pretty, like it's kind of degrading. And, um, you know, he said, if she makes, like, I'm moments from calling a helicopter, but if she makes it off this, she's going to be incredibly ripped up because the terrain on that side of the mountain is so gnarly. And, uh, you know, obviously I made it down and I got to Josh and Brian, who I'll never forget their faces of just being like, oh my God, she's alive. She's amazing. <laughs> and then it was kind of like, what have you broken? And I was like, I'm all good. I just smashed my phone, but that's about as bad as it got, you know? <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. And it was kind of, you know, I think after that, they were like, wow, okay. Well, she's just obviously completely not bothered or unfazed by it. We'll just uh, let her continue and uh, yeah, <laughs> you can get through that. She can probably get through any of it. Yeah. Incredible. Tell us about, um, so that, for, in fact, the first, we'll go back now because the first night, in fact, no, it was 30K in, you had to call your dad what were you going through physically and mentally that you just needed to hear him? Yeah. So I, we started at midday and which was a great decision on our behalf. It meant that we climbed in the evening light and then went into the darkness quite early while I was quite fresh. And um, just as the sun was going down, um, there was that, you know, that beautiful pink light that you get, Mm -hmm. but I was running along and I was, Josh and Brian had climbed the first mountain with me and then gone back to the car to begin their travels to the next um, point we were meant to meet. And I was by myself and I was like, finally just starting to just ease into it and be like, all right, this is me for the next however long. And I looked up to be like, oh, look at the beautiful sunset. And I tripped and I hit the ground and I hit my palms and cut them all up, my knees cut up. I hit my nose on a rock and that started bleeding and like I just hit the ground so hard and I remember getting up and kind of just like having to sit because I was quite shaken from it and I remember looking around as the sun was setting going I am so far out right now like there is no one that can just like pop in and help me there's not a road that I can just walk to if I need help and I guess like I called my dad, you know, I had seen that there was one hill early on with one bar of reception if I was with that service provider. And I just went, I was climbing up there and I just thought I'm just going to try. And so I called my dad and he, thank God, picked up and he's just said, you know, I just needed him to say like, you're fine. Like you'll be fine. Stop trying to like run fast and just try and move smoothly and uh yeah he just kind of said you know he's like you know you've always run well at night because suddenly you can't see how vast your landscapes are and all you see is that little bit of light in front of your feet and you just focus on putting your left foot there and then your right foot there and your left foot here um and so kind of going into that first night as much as it was the thing that scared me the most, I also knew that it would simplify my life. It wasn't going to be as hot. It wasn't going to be as distracting with what's going around around me. And if there's animals and people or things out here, I won't be able to see it. So I shouldn't worry about it. Um, But yeah, to kind of have that experience 30 kilometers in into what was meant to be 230 K. So I had 200 Ks to go. It was definitely like, yeah, this you like. I've got to stay radically positive if I'm going to get yeah. through this because you still have a very long way to go. Yeah, well, tell us about that that mindset challenge. Like, you know, when you experience that so early on, how do you then set yourself up for the next two hundred kilometers? Well, I think it was perfect in that I went into the night, and obviously, I was heightened in terms of like I was afraid or not afraid but I was definitely concerned about running at night so my 
my focus in the night was just my little bit of light that I could see. And that kind of just made the night go fairly fast because you're not looking at your watch. You're not really uh, distracted. And what the cool thing at night was that the reflective trail markers lit up with my head torch. So I could actually see the gist of where the trail was going for a few uh, hundred meters in the distance. So it turned out to be like the easiest time to navigate and just like it was cool and I was just focused and that went by quite fast. So I didn't really realize that time going. I just was very much like, cool, like I'm just going to focus on my next step, my next step, that bit of light. Coming into the second day when the sun rose and it got up to 36 degrees and quite hot, I that was when it kind of hit me of like, well, you know, if, if I look at this as a whole, I'm not even a third of the way. I'm not even a quarter of the way. And that could be like, I have to do not just that again, but like three times more. Um, and that's just became like not a great positive way to look at it. Um, and instead I had to be like, I saw Josh and Brian every eight or so hours. And so I kind of worked to just focus on getting to them, which was on time, not distance. And, uh, you know, I knew that I was going to get meal and I could change shoes and I could refresh myself. And like, if anything was wrong, you know, we could handle it as a team. But uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where it was about like the brick in the wall, not about building the, the Great Wall of China. Like it was just kind of focused on what you can do now, what what you can eat, what you can drink, how you can prepare yourself for the next step and uh, and not looking at it as one big massive journey because, yeah, if, if someone said to me, oh, okay, you're going to be out there for 256 kilometres, 54 hours, I'd be like, that sounds absolutely awful. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing that once I kind of sunk in and lent into the fact that this was my very privileged life for three three days um I started to to relax and enjoy it and that's when when I got lost I wasn't too rattled by it It was kind of like oh yeah okay that was wrong let's go back and let's find it and don't stress because yeah. I was wasting energy and it just became about that survival mentality but such a really beautiful way of just you just go down to your essentials right you just simplify everything and it was quite, yeah, extraordinary to experience that. Yeah. You're just making the adventure a little bit longer. You get to enjoy it a bit more. More miles, more smiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So was there any strategy around doing, you know, 42 kilometres overnight? Like when, when did you sleep and how did you recover? So I slept for three minutes in the whole 54 hours. Um, I'm sorry, that, what? Three minutes? Three minutes, yeah. <laughs> so if I was to do it again, I would change my sleep strategy. I've never, I've done 100 mile races, but I've always kind of got in before midnight and then been in, you know, slept until 7 a.m. So I've always kind of had that 7 a.m. I've never missed a night's of sleep. Um, and so I didn't really know what to expect. And my plan initially was to just like push on, push on, push on. But what I realized is when I did take that three minutes of sleep, um, I was in a really bad place, um, just kind of like meandering, walking across the trail. I was really like it moody. Josh was with me for a very brief moment of it. And I don't think he enjoyed my company all that much either. Um, and I took this three-minute nap and it was like a complete reset. Um, and I got up and I started running and I was able to, it's like my mind just needed just to take a chill pill for like, yeah, three minutes. And so if I was to do this again, I would sleep a little bit earlier. Like even if it's just a one minute, two minute, just close your eyes, sit down, chill out um, and just kind of take that to help myself in the future. Cause it really is a reset and the best long distance runners that are doing multiple days like my good friend Courtney Zulwater, she can do like a 30 second reset and she'll just sit on the most uncomfortable rock. But if she really needs to sleep, her body will take that spot as a great opportunity to close it and shut its mind down for a bit. And 30 seconds might seem like a really short time, but it can be such a kind of just like turn the power off, turn the power back on. Cool. Like the computer works again. 
And uh, that's kind of what I, I probably did wrong was that I just went to the point of I'm going to collapse because I'm so tired. Um, but then found that after the three minutes, I was like, cool, I'm good to go. Let's finish this off, even with 80 kilometers still to go. Yeah, incredible. It's almost, do you think it's almost like that meditative state that you can just switch off? Yeah, I think it's, I think it doesn't have the mindfulness when you're completely exhausted. I don't think, it, I think it comes down to, you know, when I'm, when you're out there for that long, your body is choosing what systems it's really going to put energy into, you know, like if I wasn't eating well and probably enough, it would turn my digestive system off and be like, okay, we don't need that. Um, you know, like these are the things we do need. We need to cool her down. So we need her blood to be pumping to the skin we need her brain to function, obviously. So there's going to be blood going there. And I think that when you take that little reset, yeah, it's probably more of like a, me- a meditative trance because it's not a sleep. But I, I distinctly remember in those three minutes, the only dream I had, which I fell into the moment I closed my eyes, was that I was finished. And I remember waking up to this alarm that Josh was holding just that beep, 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 yeah. beep. And I was like, oh my God, I'm still out here. We're not finished. Like I just dreamt this such a real false reality that I'd done and I didn't have to put my shoes back on. But I woke up and I was just lying on a floor of ants and uh, being belted <laughs> by the midday sun. And it was like, oh no, we've still got 80 <laughs> No, Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of eating and drinking, what, what did you do? Was, was there a lot of focus on that? There was, there wasn't a huge, I didn't want to make it a stress. I had a plan. It fell out the window within five kilometers of the whole thing. Um, When I race, I race with, you know, with gels and the normal kind of um, sweet foods that will give you fast energy to make you move fast but this wasn't that wasn't the whole idea behind this we weren't essentially going out to try and be like super super fast like I wanted to go back to my roots of running and that includes enjoyment not pushing myself and if it's not a race I don't really feel the need to try and beat some person that did it a few years ago or something like I was just there to to do it my way and do it in a comfortable way for me And so nutritionally, I wanted to do it in a, like running 250 kilometers isn't a healthy thing to do, but I wanted to try and eat healthy and make sure that I was being wholesome towards my um, perspective on this whole thing and being really smart about like, I can dig myself a really deep hill if I put myself in a deficit or too big of a deficit from this. So the way it ended up working was that I would see Josh and Brian every eight hours and I would have with them something warm or something like quite filling. Like I'd have oats or I would have pasta or I had rice and kind of something pretty substantial. And then in between for those eight hours, I would carry with me like muesli bars or a gel or some dried fruit um, or just kind of anything that would go. And that seemed to work really well. I mean, in those eight hours because I was navigating and climbing up rocks and swimming through water and then trying to, you know, stay upright, food kind of did fall off my mind. It was kind of the lesser of my um, problems. Hydration was an issue and that comes out in the film is that I went a very long time without water. And so if you don't have water, you don't want food. Um, So it kind of all started to be like, you can have plans for days, but when you get out there and things start to unravel, they start to change. It becomes, it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that food was going to be something that I would consume with Josh and Brian. And my stomach was sweet to take on like a three course meal and then just go walk out in the woods for a bit. And that's kind of how it turned out to be. It was just, I'd eat up, I'd eat really well. And then I'd kind of use that as my reserve to get me to the next point to, to refuel again. You said earlier on that the most challenging part was the mental side. Apart from the mental, physically, what do you remember being the most challenging or even scariest part? 
I think the physically the hardest thing for me, I haven't ever had to change shoes in a race. And the furthest I've run prior to this was 160 kilometers. And I wasn't, I've never, when I went hiking with the boys in Tasmania, I was, we were with another lady who's a very um, well-known expedition leader. And we'd cross rivers and she'd make everyone sit down and talcum powder their feet and change their socks and put their shoes back on. And I was always like, my God, this wastes so much time. Like, <laughs> it's fine. They'll dry as I walk type thing. And so I've kind of always been at that, like, let's just be, let's move quickly. Don't worry. It'll sort itself out. What I realized after two and a half days of going in and out of waterbeds is that that precautionary measures of changing your socks looking after your feet pays dividends in the back end and I didn't really respect that so what I ended up with was like some pretty feral feet that have been just like constantly wet then like sweating in the midday heat then getting dry and not really taken care of um so I had some pretty massive blisters I would say my whole foot was one big blister to be completely honest um but that was kind of a big problem for me was that I didn't yeah kind of with those big river crossings didn't take that you know two minutes to really look after my feet for the back end and then because of that I couldn't change my shoes because my feet was getting so fat from the um just being up right and the dehydration and exhaustion that I couldn't actually change shoes so I only had the one pair of shoes to to get me through because I couldn't take my shoe off otherwise I was probably going to pull off all the skin on my feet oh wow so you didn't change (laughs) shoes no not in the end I did one change at 100 k's and then that stayed on with on me for another 150 after that (laughs) I tried. (laughs) Gosh, how long did it take to recover? Like at the end now, how many days did it take to recover from all of this physically, mentally, emotionally? Oh, I think they're all different timelines. I think, you know, we finished the run because the whole project got pushed back a week because of the torrential rain and the flooding of the road to get out there we had to kind of hustle back to um, wherever where we're all from. And so we finished the run, got in the car, drove three days back to Adelaide. So I just had my feet like hanging out the window um, <laughs> and just laid down in the back the whole time. I don't recommend this for anyone post big efforts is to go and sit in the car for three days and then onto a plane. Um, it doesn't help the recovery, but I would say I was back, I was running and my, my feet healed really quickly, really well. Like once I got the shoes off and I was able to give them a dry and just like look at the damage, I really realized that a lot of that was in my head. I think because I couldn't take my shoes off, I just assumed that it was like completely awful. But once I yeah. did, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I, you know, like maybe I was building this up in my head and thinking that I was going to have zero toes at the end of this. Pool of blood. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to have to amputate the whole thing or something, <laughs> probably. Um, so my feet healed and I was I was back running for a camp that I put on the week after. But I would say that, like, mentally I was not into it. Like, I was like, I'm doing this because this is, like, something that people have paid for. They're here to run with me. Um, and in hindsight, it was a bad decision because I wasn't the best version of myself at that camp. I was just incredibly hungry incredibly tired but I I would say I'm still recovering probably on that deeper level of physical like surface level like I'm uninjured I feel fine I can I'm running every day kind of thing but I think hormonally and endocrine system um those kind of things you know they take a while when you miss two nights of sleep like they people preach about how anything less than seven hours is terrible for you. Well, try three minutes in, in three days and let me know, like probably the ramifications of that is, is deeper than I know. Um, and so I'm kind of been really lucky that I've been able to give myself that time to just kind of get everything back into equilibrium and just, you know, play it out. Cause it hasn't been easy. I mean, you do have to, 
you sacrifice time and um, your hobby when you put yourself into something like this, there's going to be a, a payoff for that. And so I just kind of mentally wrapping my head around and being like, Lucy, you know, you, you ran for 54 hours. You cannot run for a few days. You'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. You'll be fine. I think you've put your quota together for the next so many months. Yeah, well, they say, what, 10,000 steps a day? And I was like, I think I'm going to sit down for about three months now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You've earned it. You you mentioned hormonal issues. uh, This is something you've experienced for a little while now. Tell us about what's going on. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I had I my hormonal issues prior were because I was underweight and I was training really hard for um, racing at the top end. And so then I believe that that was kind of the thing that tipped my body over to being like, all right, we're going to stop you running. But I didn't come out with like an injury. I came out with just like mentally, I'm not loving this. And I know my body and I'm invested in my body enough to be like okay cool like if you don't love it we're not going to do it and I wasn't going to push myself anymore um and then thankfully that fell in line with the pandemic and then it's kind of been this journey of like yep getting my period back getting back into like just getting all those levels of estrogen and um getting them all to kind of be within range and then you do something like the Lyra which obviously sets you back a little bit, um, but it was a sacrifice I was willing to make. And then kind of just as I started to work with, I do coaching for a company called Femi, which is about females coaching females, all about following your menstrual cycle. And, you know, if you don't have that, then like how can we work within your hormones? And learning about that and coaching girls and women through that it's made me realize like how oblivious I was to, we always just think physical, mental, you know, maybe you go emotional, maybe you do spiritual if you're, if you tend that way, but, you know, hormonally, you know, females have this amazing, uh, you know, like time of the month or their period that kind of gives them a high five to like, go, yeah, you're good. Like green light, go full steam. And for me, I've just kind of for so long thought that, as an athlete it was common knowledge that you just don't don't have that and if you kind of did get it then that was like oh you need to train harder um so I think that that's kind of been a a journey and one that I'm still learning about but really cool to come off Lara Pinter and be like sick you know this is such an opportunity now we're just gonna reset wait for that green light and then we'll uh push forward and do it in a, a wholesome and balanced way yeah, well, tell us about that. What what have you changed or what have you adopted since finding out about, you know, the, the hormones and our cycles and, and how we can, I guess, nourish it and, and nurture that a little bit more, especially when you're training so much? Yeah, I think I'm just... I think you just have a great appreciation for the body and the way that things work and the ebbs and flows. I think we, you know, if you work like if a female works to their cycle, you really can enhance if you like, you can, there's different ways that you eat and you'll sleep and you'll train. And if you kind of enhance all of those things and you work with it and you have the rest when things aren't feeling so great, what ends up happening is that you don't have that, oh, I had a terrible session. I'm a terrible athlete. It's like, no, I might've had a terrible session because these are what my hormones are saying. And when you kind of have that as like a, a really comfortable thing to lean on and be like, yeah, this is what it says. And that's how I feel. Um, it really takes the pressure off kind of that emotional thing because it's not an emotional, it's a physical, it's a hormonal thing. And uh, I think with talking to about talking to women and talking to ladies that I coach about it, you know, it's been so fascinating the way that it's really kind of lined up and worked really well for people to strength train during certain periods and certain phases to endurance run to just completely to rest and to relax and when best to have like more high protein because you're building muscle more during this phase and it's just like a really cool thing to 
to focus on when it should be such a focus anyway, but to use it for your training is just such a, a beautiful way to be very holistic in this is how you might be feeling emotionally and this is how you might feel mentally and physically and that's all okay and all such valid things to feel. Um, obviously, it's going to be different for everyone, but kind of having that compass to guide you feels very intuitive and natural rather than a lot of training plans and a lot of how I used to train where it was just like I'm a small man and I'm going to go hard just as the boys do, which is just not sustainable. Exactly. And it's almost, it almost becomes like a hack, you know, like you said, it's this holistic, you know, approach to training. And when you're able to understand your cycle and what's happening physically within and what that means for you and how you're feeling, you really are able to work in a way that is advantageous to the training, to how you recover. It's, yeah, it's, it can be a wonderful thing. And it's, it's for so long we've thought about it as, you know, such a drag. Oh, I've got, you know, got my period, feel awful. and But now we can really flip that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think changing that narrative, I've been doing a lot of talks to schools and to sports teams, especially female sports teams. And it's been so interesting because they for a lot of these young girls it's kind of like oh my god she said period ha 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 like yeah you know like that's taboo or it's just like hilarious still and all these things like that doesn't it's not going to bother me like they're still kind of blissfully unaware of what this can mean uh as you get older and like for me it kind of all hit me at 22 which is like because I put off having my period or I changed myself hormonally or tried to change that natural thing. It meant that everything kind of happened quite radically, quite rapidly all at once. And uh, I talked to these school groups and school girls about it. And I think that the the one message I give them is like, just talk to each other. You're all going to go through it. You might as well all just be like, cool. This is how I feel, how you feel. And then, you know, coaches to be like, you know, to check in and be like, so, you know, man or female to just say, you know, if you're not having your period, this is a problem and we can address that and we can work our way towards that. And if you're feeling, you know, self-conscious or if you're feeling like your body's changing, let's talk about it because these disorders of mental health and, you know, eating disorders and things like that, they they fester in silence when you stay quiet and you isolate yourself away from everyone that's when they take over and they become these predominant thoughts and you know they become your friend but when you talk to someone and you talk to a coach you talk to a professional what you do is you're shedding light on it and that just kills it off it you know it can't it's way harder for it to grow and to take over when there's a lot of people shining a light on it being like let's navigate around this through this over this whatever we have to do and I think that it all kind of stems from yeah your body changing like that's the crux of what so many females have issues with is from that hormonally things change bodies change athletic achievements change you know times go one way or the other way and then they got the stress of university and life and all these expectations Mm -hmm. and I think that it's just kind of if you can just focus on one thing and focus on that and focus on tuning into your body and like really tuning in not just kind of downloading an app and saying that you're a very holistic person um or reading a quote and saying that you're the next Buddha it's (laughs) kind of like you know really just like sit with yourself and be like you know am I paying attention to these cues or am I even getting any of these cues? Because if you're not, then you're missing out on these amazing kind of uh, uh, street signs, which are telling you which way to go and how to train to, uh, to get the best out of you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I really, I mean, I love that you are passionate about that and um, are helping women now with all of that and and also that healthy body image because I, I I would think that you know for elite athletes or even you know amateur athletes that pressure also there to fulfill this image of what an athlete should look like is can be overwhelming and really unhealthy and like you said you know 
you know, these eating disorders and, and um, trying to fulfil this image that, you know, is brought about social from social societies and whatnot. So I guess, you know, from your perspective and your experience, what's your message to anyone who feels those pressures to look a certain way? Yeah, I think it goes back to what I said, just voice it, talk to yeah. someone. You know, everyone should have someone that they can talk to about, yeah, something super personal. Um, you know, if you need, like there's so many people that study these things, that they are, their profession is to help you navigate this. And I think it's really kind of, it's not as well accepted to kind of have that team around you. And I think everyone should treat themselves as if they're an Olympic gold medalist. Those people have nutritionists, they have dietitians, they have physiotherapists, they have sports therapists. They have this team that gets them to where they want to go. And I think that if you're, if you don't think that you're of that higher level, then you don't really think that you need that. But if there's one thing I've learned is that like build your freaking team so that they can help you move forward and help you better yourself and get to where you want to go athletically or not. I think that, you know, having a coach, having a sport, a therapist, someone you talk to, or if you don't, if that makes you uncomfortable, at least just having a friend or family member um, that you can kind of bounce ideas off with and say like these are the thoughts I'm having is this normal like is this something that I like is this truth or is this just like my body my mind just creating stories and assumptions and expectations and am I just digging a bit of a hole right now and I think for me you know early in my career it was my dad he was always the one he still is to this day but I definitely enjoyed kind of having other people that I can come to for different reasons but then having a professional that's just like at completely removed from the whole thing and it doesn't know me as Lucy the athlete but just knows me as you know Lucy her client and I kind of love that um so I think that like just say it just communicate just if you don't be embarrassed by your thoughts because what I've realized is that the thoughts that I thought I was just having I mean tens of thousands of people are like, oh, thank God you said that because I feel the exact same way exactly. or I did feel that way. And uh, the me too movement of that kind of, oh, you feel that, I feel that. Oh, you mm -hmm. did that, I did that. It creates this community and acceptance and that kind of, um, you know, we're all in this together and we can, I've navigated through it. You can navigate through it. This is, this does not have to define you. You are not that. Um, and that's a really important thing to just kind of understand that, yeah, what you're thinking, how you're feeling is a totally valid thing. And it's something that someone else out there has been through. So there's someone that can help you. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to know, you know, over the course of your career, what have you learned about yourself? I think I've learned, well, I would say that what I, I have learned that like, you don't have to go this alone. I think there's a lot of kind of pride that people say, like, I'm self-made. I do this by myself. I train alone. And, you know, I, this is all me, but I think that what I've really loved and come to love and I guess like the Lara Pinch is a great example is that I love bringing people to work together to on the shared goal and to work in a team. And I think that like running is such an individual sport at, at its essence. You know, I did, I ran for 54 hours by myself out there, but I couldn't have done it without Josh and Brian. I couldn't have done it without the Alice Springs community who met me at the finish. I couldn't have done it without the 10 years of running and racing and traveling and meeting people that I did to get ready to do something like that. And so I think what I learned about myself is that I, and I think that this kind of coincides with when I was not in a great headspace and I was so focused on like eating well and training well, I didn't want anyone to like cook me food and I didn't want to cook food for anyone and I didn't want to train with anyone. I just needed to do what I needed to do. And it wasn't a balanced life. It was a very isolated, very focused life. And what I realize now, and especially after Lyra Pinter, is that like when you kind of broaden that vision and you bring other people into it, it's so much more powerful and it's so much more fulfilling. And I think that, you know, moving forward, I see a lot of 
projects that work with other people and especially other females and kind of give opportunities for other people to share their story because as much as I love talking about what I've done and where I've been there's so many people that I talk to and I'm like your story is so powerful and I have this amazing platform now that I can share that and you know kind of snowball effect that like I say that kind of me too movement of that um you know I've been there done this and kind of that creation of we're not alone and we're all in this together and if we support each other and lift each other up and provide opportunities and places to speak and feel heard and seen that's so much more rewarding than I guess any medal or podium I'll ever stand on um, and I think that that's for me is really important to be more than just like Lucy the runner but be like uh, there's more things to, more strings to my bow and more things that I can provide and one of that is kind of supporting others that will come after me and uh and will encounter some of the same challenges that I have yeah you are definitely more than just a runner tell us about some of the other projects that you're doing and, and these camps um, so I've done, so I haven't put it in camps on because of COVID, obviously it's yeah. really challenging to, uh, to meet with people and do communities, but um, I have previously in the last few years been putting on camps uh, that bring together, sometimes they're all female groups, sometimes they're co, men and women, um, but we go up to like the mountains or to the coast, go running, I cook for them um and cook kind of my favorite plant-based meals from the cookbook I released last year and mainly it's just you know come hang out with me for the weekend you know let's do what I do go for a nice run eat what I eat have conversations and connect you know my favorite thing about running is those incredible conversations you have with people when you're jogging on the trail and you just kind of say feel like you can say anything that comes to mind and you're not judged and you're not people aren't you know, there's no expectations on you to share but you kind of just do there's so many times I've finished a run and been like oh I wouldn't even tell that to my therapist but here <laughs> I'm just being like laying it all on this like young girl or older man and they're just like probably behind me going what on earth but it's such a beautiful thing because like nature just and nature and running break you down and build you up that's just kind of the the process we go through out there so the camps are all about that just kind of connecting people who are like-minded with their love for nature running uh plant-based eating or just food and um kind of mindfulness and being present and off your phone and just enjoying company and then um yeah working with Femi I do the coaching and some run clubs and just kind of things that bring people together like I say I think that community is just 100% it should be the focus just to bring people together and to have something to share with others and you know if you make it about other people not just yourself it becomes a whole lot more balanced and it brings so much more fulfillment so kind of anything in that realm that kind of does that is something that I am interested to step foot in yeah that's brilliant so uh, which start lines are you hoping to be on next year so I'm signed up for the western states 100 which uh, is a 100 mile race in America that I've done in 2018 it was kind of one of my breakout races um where I finished third place and then I went back the next year and had a terrible run um so I'm looking for anything in between I don't need an amazing race I don't want a terrible race I'm happy with just a good race <laughs> brilliant Would be good. I'm happy for if that was all our standard <laughs> be a better better human race if good was the standard <laughs> exactly um so that's kind of my main focus and then everything around that is just kind of preparation and just some fun races hopefully locally and yeah just kind of taking it day by day I don't really feel the need to fill my calendar up with lots of races but that one is the one that makes sets my heart on fire which I'm excited to to delve into yeah awesome and uh are you preparing for melbourne marathon in a couple of weeks 
I am. Yes. I was meant to be doing uh, Ironman WA, yeah. but because of, well, first of all, the restrictions, I can't get to WA, but also part of me is like, not a bad thing, Lucy, because you're not ready for this. Um, <laughs> I didn't, wasn't able to swim during restrictions. The pools were closed and the wind trainer on my bike is just the most boring thing I've ever done so I just was not enticed by that and training in winter was really tough so I think that um hopefully I've uh, deferred to next year um to do the Ironman so instead I just decided to do the marathon aspect go back to my comfort zone of just one sport and uh run my first road marathon though so it's very exciting yeah how are you feeling I feel very underprepared I had uh some surgery um so I was out of running for about three weeks and I've done two weeks of build-up and now I'm starting to taper so I feel like it's uh I did two long runs and now I'm going back down the pyramid into tapering for for the race and uh yeah I mean I'm not going out there to to race it I'm going out to just run it um there's no way that I could uh push myself to uh, to try and have expectations on myself to do really, really well. I think that instead it's just about this would be my first bib and last bib for 2021. And that's something to be grateful for after everything that's uh, gone on in my life. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and good luck for that one. And most of all, enjoy. Lucy, this has been sensational. You're an absolute champion. And I could ask you a bazillion more questions. <laughs> No, you have to go. So where can people find you and, and follow your journey and especially uh, go and watch Running Out, your documentary? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, the best place to follow me is on Instagram, which is Lucy underscore Bartholomew. Um, on, I'm on Facebook, but it's all just a copy of Instagram. So I probably <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't bother doing both. Um, and then for the movie is, so there is a running out movie website, which is just www.runningoutmovie.com. Um, and from there, it'll take you to Vimeo. So Vimeo is the platform at which the film sits on. Um, so you could just go straight to Vimeo and type in running out movie and it should come up. Brilliant and highly, highly recommend everyone go and watch it because it's phenomenal. Lucy, to finish this off, what is your advice to those wanting to run an ultra? Oh, to running an ultra. I think that, you know, once you kind of go into that ultra distance, it becomes a lot less about physical and a lot more about mental. So I would say that work out why you want to run an ultra marathon you know why you need to go more than 5k 10k half marathon marathon um and just kind of you know build that community I always come back to it is find people to run with find people that you can go exploring and for long runs with and you know we'll we'll do the grind with you up to the race day I think that yeah ultra marathon it's a long way to go by yourself but uh you can go fast alone or you can go far together and I think that that's uh my biggest tip would be like find that community and ask lots of questions and be completely open-minded to having good runs and bad runs and realize that you know you got to have the bad runs to have the good ones and to really appreciate it so just ride that wave and listen to your body and love your body and do it because you love it not because you want to change it Yes. Thank God. Oh, that's amazing. Brilliant. Lucy, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad this happened. Oh, what an extraordinary woman. If you haven't gone and seen Running Out, then make sure you do. I will put the links in the show notes all there ready for you. It's incredible. It's a must watch for all you runners, but for anyone out there who wants to see someone be pushed to their limits and prevail. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. We, we think we have these limits and we don't go too far close to them. In fact, it's really one of those things where we, we're almost afraid of reaching our limits because we, we don't know what would happen and you know, what we're capable of as well. So this is a really beautiful example of 
what the human body and mind is capable of. She's extraordinary. Go check it out. You can also head over to her Instagram and follow her journey there. All links, as I said, in show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to this show. I appreciate you. Share it with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast. Say g'day over on Instagram because I would love to connect with you. Have an awesome day, week, month and year. And here's to a world of bodies built better.